As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome into the Bulls Talk podcast. Here from the Advocate Center, I'm Mark Shanowski, joined by our Bulls insider, Vincent Goodwill. And Vinny, it was pretty interesting to hear the different tones of the three people that spoke to the media today. Robin Lopez, from the player's perspective, made it sound like they'll be able to survive this. They'll move forward. The chemistry is good, and, and they'll bring the group back together and be able to move forward. John Paxson had the old school mentality that, you know, he played in the Jordan era where Michael used to go after guys at times. And, you know, the, the problem with the only thing that he saw that was wrong is that Portis inflicted so much damage with the punch. And Fred Hoiberg, the head coach, is more the conciliatory approach where he visited Nico in the hospital and he's really hurting for his player who was injured and for Bobby Portis, who you know, we call a good guy that, that just made a bad mistake. Well, I guess Paxson's response was the one that I, that I was most curious uh, to hear. The most surprised, I would say, was probably Fred Hoiberg um, because of everything surrounding. And we haven't talked about Fred, honestly. We've done podcasts and we've talked about it, but we haven't talked about how this, the optics look on Fred, where you got a third-year coach now, he probably thought that this was the last thing he would have to deal with or endure. He probably thought he would just have a team that played hard, that would lose a lot of games, but, you know, would play hard, would listen to him, and, and he would start building a culture. Now, does this mean that that culture that he's building is being questioned because, on one hand, did he could he have stepped in and stopped practice, or could he have stepped in and just told both guys to knock it off? And if he truly did and they didn't listen, how does that look upon his authority? So, Paxson, I didn't. I don't know about you, but I didn't expect anything different from him. He came in a different era. Yeah, he definitely played in a different era where the game was so much more physical. And I think that that was an era where players would kind of police their own issues. Yes. You know, you had you did have strong head coaches, but you also had players that were not going to let anything go on that in a practice session where things got out of control. And, well, and this yeah. was a situation that, as you mentioned, Players knew that there was some bad blood between Nico and Portis, maybe not in terms of a personal dislike, but they were competing for the same spot and they were going hard at each other. You can't let it escalate to the point where a guy's going to throw a punch and put a guy out of action for four to six weeks. Well, it speaks to two things. A, we talk about how teams, when they go young, they just, they just completely go young and they don't have any veterans around to sort of help guide these, these young players. That's why you have veterans around. That's why you have the right veterans around, in my opinion. Now, now maybe should Robin Lopez or Justin Holiday or Quincy Pondexter, you know, stepped in. We've heard of instances of those guys stopping practice uh, when, you know, during basketball, basketball things happen, too many turnovers or, you know, guys not focusing. Should those guys have stepped in and, and quelled things on their own? In hindsight, maybe so. But when you look at and the second part is, to me, Mark, it shows that you don't know how far you're pushing a player. You know, Bobby Porter's, we joke about the crazy eyes and everything else. 
but this is also a business and this is his livelihood and he was supposed to be a lottery pick you know and lottery picks come with a certain amount of cachet you 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 go to a team and you get a chance to play early on that's usually what happens he slipped and fell in the draft and he came to a, a team that wasn't a lottery team a team that had aspirations on going deep into the playoffs he wasn't going to be as much of a priority and you can go from being a young player with promise to being yesterday's news just like that and he's probably seeing what's been happening during the preseason nico was announces the starter very early in training camp and then Lowry Markin was getting more and more playing time as the preseason went on. We were wondering before this incident happened, was Portis going to fall out of the rotation? Because really he can only play 10 guys and it looked like he was the third power forward. Yeah, and players see that. And not just that, October 31st is a big day for him. Now, do I think that the Bulls will pick up his option or that, that they were on track to? Yeah, I do. But until you go through that and you get that call, there's going to be some angst. There's going to be a lot of anxiety about your future in this league. And I think he saw it and he said, look, Lowry Marketing is the future. Who knows what position he's going to play? You know, they're looking at, you know, some of the guys ahead that's going to be in the draft next year. The uh, Michael Porter Juniors and, you know, those type of guys. Like, this, this goes very quickly for players in this league. And he hasn't shown enough in his mind or in anybody else's mind to say that he deserves to be part of a team's future. So when you see that writing on the wall and you see what's coming around the corner, it's not an easy situation to be in. Yes, should you keep your cool? Absolutely, absolutely. But the human element of this frustration, looking at Nikola Mirotic probably receive a certain amount of favor from the coaching staff over the past few years. And he years. got that big raise in the summer. Yes. when no other teams were bidding yes so you get all of those things and then maybe there is some personal animosity that we don't know about we assume that because guys play with each other that they're all pulling in the same direction that may be the goal but in essence when you're one of those guys you're competing against the guy ahead of you you're competing for playing time for minutes for you know for shots for money you're, com you're competing for your future. This is a dog-eat-dog -dog league. And although it's a business, and as we saw yesterday with the Gordon Hayward stuff, you know, guys do stick together when, and when those situations happen. But when it comes down to your future and your livelihood, you got to look at the guy ahead of you and say, I've got to be better than you. I've got to fi figure out a way to be better. And that's where they are. The other thing I found kind of interesting was Robin Lopez entering his 10th year in the league. He's been with different teams. He's seen different approaches to how teams are constructed, how teams handle practice sessions. And, and I thought that he was pretty genuine when we talked about how that they have built a pretty good camaraderie during the training camp period, that he felt like I got the sense he what he was trying to tell the media was that this team might have been a little bit better than what the national experts were saying just because of the fact that they were all going to work together you had a bunch of young guys trying to prove that they belonged in the NBA and it might be a, a fun season of watching how this could develop but this is going to set everything back now they almost have to pull the group back together because when you have a dispute like this there's going to be guys in the locker room that are going to take sides some are going to say well Bobby was right and some are going to say Nico was right yeah this we've seen smaller things splinter a locker room with veteran players who've seen and experienced a little bit of everything. Now you've got all of these players with not a lot of NBA experience and everybody naturally picks a side. You know, it's just a matter of do you treat 
everybody else who doesn't agree with you or who isn't on quote unquote your side differently because everybody's going to have their own opinions at least at least from a human standpoint if you saw that whatever that happened and we're feet away from what transpired yesterday you're going to have a different view of you. you're going to say nico you shouldn't have gotten this face someone's going to say bobby you shouldn't have swung maybe the truth of obviously lies somewhere in the middle but everybody has human emotions and when you talk about building a culture of camaraderie and being together this strips at it before you really have a chance to do anything more than lay a permanent foundation because you're looking at the coaching staff and, and wondering about their confidence level you're looking at your teammates and saying okay what are you guys how are you guys going to bring us together they're going these young guys are going to be looking for leadership they're going to be looking for answers and i don't know who has the answers here Mark Shanowski, Vincent Goodwill coming at you from the Advocate Center the day before the opener in Toronto, the Bulls and the Raptors. Let's talk about the practical circumstances of losing two power forwards. Lowry Markinen, the rookie who missed early parts of training camp because of back spasms now, is thrust into the starting lineup. We don't know if he's mentally or physically ready to take on major minutes, but he's going to be thrown out there. And I guess for Bulls fans that want to see what they got as one of the pieces in the Jimmy Butler trade, they're going to get a good long look at Lowry Markin right away. We know he can shoot the ball, but defensively he's going to have some issues trying to to compete physically with some of the power forwards and centers in the league. There's something we call grown man strength. <laughs> and Serge Ibaka, a power forward for the Raptors, he definitely has that. And we, in the, in the beginning, we, we, me, you, and Kendall, we talked about how the Bulls would handle this power forward rotation, who would get playing time, you know, how they would use marketing. You know, we saw them play at times, play him at small ball five. I think that takes that out now because you have to play him at four and you're going to have to play Quincy Pondexter. You're probably going to have to use, you know, smaller lineups. And, and most Bulls fans don't even realize Quincy Pondexter's on the team. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's literally the first game is going to be who? Yeah, who? When did who? they pick him up? And that was a that was a deal that they K, really made to K get Felder. Wait, wait, who did he play for? The Pondexter thing was to get the, the draft pick yep. thrown in, so you absorbed his salary. Here's a guy who hasn't played in two years mm -hmm. because of knee issues. All of a sudden, the Bulls are going to see him check in sometime in the second quarter. They're going to go, I didn't even know he was on the team. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a lot of checking your online media guides <laughs> or checking your Bulls app tomorrow to check in and figure out who's on the roster and who's active. I think they're only going to have nine players tomorrow. And I think, let's be honest, it's going to be rough tomorrow. No matter how you look at it, this team emotionally probably won't be as focused and Toronto's not taking any prisoners here. You know, they got something to prove with what happened with Boston yesterday. They see an opportunity to elevate themselves, you know, to the top of the Eastern Conference, at least in terms of record and competing with Cleveland. So teams are going to be looking at the Bulls, especially early in this season, as a way to get healthy and get right. And the Bulls are going to be taking, I want to say someone's best shot, but they're going to be taking shots that they have to absorb and handle. And when you got nine guys, yeah, sure, it's going to be opportunity for the Archie Diaconos of the world and guys who otherwise probably wouldn't uh, – be given a thought on a roster but that comes with a price and I think that price is going to be paid heavily tomorrow in Toronto. I know that Fred Hoiberg wanted to do more small ball this season. Now he's going to be forced to because he loses two power forwards off his roster, Portis at least for the first eight games and Nico for a much longer period of time. You're going to see very odd lineups out there. You're going to see uh, Denzel Valentine playing the three. Mm -hmm. You'll see Justin Holiday playing the three. You'll see Paul Zipser slide over to the four. Um, what can Fred do to try to keep this group competitive when he's going to be so shorthanded for the first month? I don't know. 
I, I don't know because eight games, you know, even in the eight games, and then Bobby gets back. Like that just means you have one power forward, but you don't have a proven power forward. Not saying that Nikola Mirotic is proven. Like we're looking at the first game, like the first game's going to be rough. The first eight games are going to be rough. The next four to seven weeks are going to be rough. The next eighty-two games are going to be rough yeah. anyway. Yeah. So you take away, you take away two guys with a reasonable amount of NBA experience, and you leave Larry Markinen out there. Like he's going to get baptized in. The wor- not the worst way, but this is literally going to be a test on him physically, Mark. Like, not yeah, you don't want him to lose his confidence either, playing big minutes against starting players, because originally he'd been playing against other teams' reserve units and maybe a little easier introduction to NBA life. Now he's right there from the opening tip-off, and he's playing the best players in the world. Yeah, and honestly, you, you may have to – I won't say shield him or hide him because I don't, I don't believe in that, um, but the guy is – not like a you know a quarterback and you throw him out there and he's not ready. Well, if he's not ready, he's not ready. He can't play, you know. But I wonder if they're going to use more windy city guys have you know call ups because this is a long term thing that you have to deal with for the first month. And like you said before, this is going to be a test of what Fred Hoiberg can cook up in terms of his lineups. You're going to be playing small a lot, or at least playing one big and four smalls basically you know Denzel Valentine's going to be getting you said it a lot of playing time at a lot of different positions and and when Chris Dunn gets back and Jaron Grant and you know they it was already rough to begin with now it just makes the task a whole lot more difficult to even evaluate guys because they're going to be put in so many different positions there's not going to be a lot of consistency because what you've been preparing for in training camp that's not what you're going to be thrust into uh, Fred mentioned at practice the other day that Ryan Archidiakono is going to be the backup for Jaron Grant early in the year until Chris Dunn returns from his finger injury. They did pick up Kay Felder off waivers. And I know the Cavaliers were, were kind of intrigued by getting him in the draft, thinking that he could be a guy they developed. They had their own roster issues that forced them to, to drop him or trade him to Atlanta, who then waived him. But do you think that this, this guy has some potential as a guy who can be a, a soaring guard, who can get into the paint and maybe uh, initiate some offense that they may not have on this current roster? I mean, when you look at especially the point guard position, for me, the one thing, if you're not a dead-eye shooter, you better be able to get into the paint and break down the defense. And I know that he doesn't have a full grasp of the offense, and this offense is one of those read-and-react things that you kind of have to sort of know to get. But when, when you're desperate like this, and I know we don't expect the Bulls to win games anyway, so the bar isn't necessarily high, but you can't go out there and just lose by 25 every night. And if you got a guy on the bench who you think has a possibility to be a, a halfway decent scorer or at least can create some havoc in the paint, throw him in there and see what you got. Who knows if he can be a productive you know, NBA player. This is this is an opportunity, you know, for a guy like Kay Felder. He didn't get that last year. He played a lot uh, in Canton for the D League, and at five, at generously listed at five nine, you know, he won't say come with a chip on his shoulder or whatever. But I'm certainly he sees this as an opportunity to be on a rebuilding team and get to a fresh start. So I would throw him out there. You know, I know. Like you said, getting into the lane for me is the most important thing, you know, because you can break down a defense, you can create shots, offensive rebound opportunities, Felicio and, and Lopez. If they can eat off of that, keep you in games early on, so be it. Every Monday after game day, join Mark Shanowski and Dan Jiggets for Bears Recap, presented by United Airlines, with highlights, player interviews, and an inside look at John Fox's press conference. 
Mondays at 4.30 on NBC Sports Chicago. Let's talk about the Raptors a little bit. They were a team that didn't get much attention in the offseason or in the training camp period, largely because they have almost the same roster back as they've had the last couple of years. They made an Eastern Conference Finals a couple of years ago. They have two all-star guards in Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. They have a young big in Jonas Valanciunas, who's been a bit of a disappointment. We mentioned Serge Ibaka. This is a team that routinely is a contender to win 50 games and, and be a playoff team, but nobody's talking about them. Now with the uh, tr- unfortunate Gordon Hayward injury, Boston may take a step back this year. You've got a team, I think, in Washington that may be in the, on the rise a little bit. I think Milwaukee's going to make a push up. Where does Toronto fit in the, in the whole Eastern Conference hierarchy? I, I wonder, I honestly wonder where they fit because I made the prediction uh, on one of our uh, one of our li- links, I, I gave 20 predictions, uh, crazy or not so crazy predictions on what's going to happen in the NBA season. And I said that, you know, a coach for an underachieving team in the Eastern Conference is going to be fired. And in my mind, I was thinking, man, could that be Dwayne Casey? Yeah, could be. You know, and you look at their roster, you like Lowry and DeRozan, and I'm going to say basically that's it, but in terms of proven NBA talent, um, and those are two all-stars. You know, what if this team sees this opportunity and doesn't live up to it and Milwaukee leapfrogs them and they're in the Charlotte, Detroit cluster of teams. The cesspool that, of yeah, the bottom of the, yeah, of the playoff field. You don't, you don't want to be at the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff picture this season because there's so many teams that aren't trying to win. Like, if you count, if by my count, Mark, there's at least six teams that don't want to win or, or are ill-equipped to win. And if you're not, if you're Toronto and you're not beating up on those teams early on and Boston finds a way to, which in my opinion, I think Boston's still going to win 50 games this year. You, do, you still yeah. think they can without I, Hayward? I still think they're going to win yeah. 50 games this year. I think. I, I think they make the playoffs, but obviously their win total is going to drop a little no, bit. I think they win 50. I think, I think Boston is going to be a top three seed in the East. Not, not No disrespect to Gordon Hayward because I think he's a fabulous player, but I think with you you can win with those players. You got seven good players, and Jalen Brown is coming, and Jason yeah, Tatum is, against the Cavs, and Jason Tatum is coming. Yeah. And I think those guys. Not only that, uh, Marcus Morris, it, it, he's hurt, but he's going to play too. So I don't think they're going to be in bad as bad of a shape as everybody thinks they are, which leaves Toronto in a precarious position. Of okay, remember where the Bulls were two or three three years ago at the end of the Tibbs era and you looked at it maybe this team is maxed out yeah they got like 50 wins but that was the end of the line if that's the case if you're Toronto and okay yeah if if LeBron leaves Cleveland you know maybe you vault to Eastern Conference Finals but if you have no chance of making the finals do you keep that team together do you break it up I was kind of surprised that they paid Serge Ibaka big money to come back. Obviously, they, they gave up Terrence Ross in that deal. They mm-hmm. gave up a pick, and maybe they felt like we invested so much in him, we, we almost have to bring him back. But Ibaka has really declined from the guy that we saw in Oklahoma City who looked like he was a potential all-star, a guy who could shoot threes, who could block shots, who could run the floor. He seems to have descended into a guy that maybe is just happy with where he's at and really hasn't worked to add anything to his game. Well, I think some guys just plateau. You know, and if you think back to Serge Ibaka, I mean, this is a, a decision that could haunt Oklahoma City because basically they chose Serge Ibaka over James Harden. You know, they extended Serge because they needed, they felt like they needed that big down low, 
and James Harden probably wasn't going to be able to develop into an MVP type of player playing behind uh, Russell Westbrook and, and Kevin Durant. But, you know, in hindsight, maybe Oklahoma City takes their chance and, and does it differently. And Serge Ibaka at one point you thought was the the prototypical big man that you wanted who could run the floor, who could defend, who could finish around the basket, step out and guard, pick and rolls, defend, you know, the, the versatile two through fours, at least stick with him a little bit. Now you just you wonder if he's plateaued. I think he's plateaued as a player, not in a bad way. I just think he's physically sort of at this stage of his career and life. I just think he's plateaued, and I think it's going to be a, a stage where he's an effective NBA player but not an impactful NBA player. All right, let's look at the X's and O's a little bit of the opening matchup with the Bulls and the Raptors. Jimmy Butler made the Raptors his own personal punching bag. <laughs> he would find a way to beat them. They won like 13 games in a row against the Raptors. Nice nice word choice there, Mark Schnowski. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe given the events of the last 48 hours, maybe I shouldn't have used that particular phrase, but Jimmy dominated the Raptors. Yes. I mean, he won some of those games single-handedly, and, and the Raptors w- were s- almost afraid to see the Bulls, whether it was at the Air Canada Center or at the United Center. They knew somehow the Bulls were going to find a way to, to pull out a victory. Bulls and Raptors played in the preseason finale. Alley. It was a close game for three quarters, and then Toronto just pulled away. They lit him up with an offensive onslaught in the fourth quarter. We know with the offense the Bulls are running now, they'll probably put in up in excess of 30 three-point shots. That's really their only hope, I think, right now to try to stay close to the better teams in the league. What do you expect Fred to try to do to make it a competitive game? I think what you just said there, the three-point shots is a great equalizer. Um, and they are, the, the Bulls are going to be a team that gets up in excess of 30 three-pointers a game. And one of those guys who was going to get those shots up is, you know, now has a concussion and has two broken bones in his face. So basically, you know what that means? Lowry marketing, the floor is yours. When you come off those those doubles and those pin downs or you slide into that open space, let it fly. The good thing about Lowry that I really like about him, when he catches the ball, he's ready to shoot. Justin Holiday, not afraid to shoot the ball. And between those two guys, Denzel Valentine, not afraid to shoot the ball. Between those three guys, those three guys are going to basically have to be aggressive offensively, even if it means, you know what, we we didn't get back on defense, you know, because our floor wasn't balanced. Like, we have to do everything we can to stay in this game. I think it's either going to be a game where they stay really close or a game that they get completely waxed because you have to swing and swing big if you want to stay in this game. And I think, Fred, as much as we say that this year the Bulls are only going to win 20 games or 15 games or whatever, as a coach he wants to win every game that he's out there. And he probably feels like, hey, you know what? We have nothing to lose at this point. We're down two of our main guys. But there's an opportunity here for you, you, and you. Go out there and just play free. Who's expecting anything out of the Bulls tomorrow? Well, that's true. There's no pressure on the coaching staff in terms of wins and losses. But now being shorthanded like this, it's going to test their creativity and coming up with lineups that can match up against the Raptors. And, you know, one of the things that there was the perception, I think, out there that the Bulls were a poor defensive team last season. And they actually were sixth in the NBA in defensive rating, which uh, I'm sure will surprise a lot of people listening to this podcast. (laughs) But now the challenge defensively is going to be – ratcheted up because Jimmy Butler is no longer here to guard the best player on the on the opposing team and you've got a lot of young guys who don't really know the ins and outs of playing NBA defense how much of an issue is defense going to be throughout the course of the season I think that's going to be even a bigger concern than than their ability to score points no I think defense was always going to be an issue whenever you're talking about young teams young teams don't defend like that's just a it's hard to get 
young teams committing to the team defense atmosphere. You put one guy in front of another guy, he's going to defend them. But when you're talking about health defense and you're talking about concepts, you're talking about just attention to detail, young players don't aren't necessarily adept at that, especially with the way that college basketball is played where the, the, the court is smaller anyway or, or the floor is shrink down. You don't have to cover as much ground as quick. And these players here are bigger, faster, stronger, more space on the court. And you just don't necessarily have the, the aptitude or the want to at this stage to play quality defense for longer than, you know, five or ten seconds at a time. So, yeah, you know, look at a guy like Justin Holiday, who I think is going to, you know, you said 15 points a game. And I in the beginning, I laughed. And now I'm like, you know, he has to score 15 points. But also defensively, he's got to go against the Clay Thompson. He's got to be, play the Jimmy Butler role. He got, he's got he's got to play that. And that's that that takes a toll on the player physically and you know to some degree mentally and you wonder exactly how adept this team is is going to be at actually playing defense for decent stretches of time I'm not sure last thing before we wrap it up you know one of the things that was talked about in, re in regards to the Portis Nico incident and all three players who met the media on Wednesday were asked this question can these guys coexist and be teammates or do you think that there may be enough ill will that's, that stays there that there may be a roster move to try to accommodate that down the line. You can't rule it out, I don't think. Um, you know, talking to assistant coaches around the league yesterday, you know, who just know how these things work, you know, they were, they were saying one of those guys has got to go. And, you know, if you're playing, you know, if you're playing the game of who's more valuable, clearly it's Nico because of the contract and because of what he's accomplished in the league. You know, I I wouldn't. But Nico's essentially on a one-year deal. He may not be back next year. He he may not. But does that mean? But here's the thing. He also has a no trade clause, so he has to. There's there's the business of basketball that comes into play with that as well. So or maybe he would approve of trade uh, because of everything that's happened. It just it just puts you in a difficult position to evaluate and not, and everybody's spoken highly of Bobby Portis do I think Bobby Portis is a bad guy of course not you know I, I like I like Bobby a lot but you know this doesn't speak highly of him as much as I think this is just part of basketball and how this works unfortunately he'll always be known as the guy that clocked his teammate not to say current Washington Rudy Tomjanovich google him for those who don't know that that particular situation but this is going to follow him, unfortunately. Yeah, no this question is what about happens. it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to see how he responds from that and if another team wants him. So we talked so much about the fact that this was going to be the, a Bulls team free of drama. Fred Hoiberg was going to get his chance to coach his style with a team that would all be pulling together and doing their best to try to beat the odds and win as many games as possible in a rebuilding year. Now they start with a uh, you know a dark cloud hovering over the team with the fight between Nico Miritich and Bobby Portis. Portis suspended for eight games. Nico likely to be out four to six weeks with a concussion and multiple facial fractures. We thank you so much for listening to the Bulls Talk podcast. It's opening night. In Toronto on Thursday, we will have full coverage at NBC Sports Chicago. Vinny's making the trip north of the border. He'll be at the Air Canada Centre. He'll join us for Bulls pregame live at 6 o'clock. And the Neil Funk and Stacey King will bring you the play-by-play -play call at 6.30. That will be followed, as always, by Bulls postgame live. Once again, thanks for listening to the Bulls Talk podcast. You can find all of our shows at NBCSportsChicago.com slash podcasts. We're also available to listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. So long, everybody.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.